Oh, I forgot to talk. Hey, Angela, how you doing? <laughs> Good. How are you? Oh boy, I guess I'm doing okay. You know what? I totally messed up what I was going to try to do here. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> What I did is I, I've actually pre-recorded an introduction that I was going to play where I've already talked about everything that I was going to do. But anyway, so we're here today to talk about step 10. And um, I did some um, preparation for this by reading. Awesome. Yeah, I read the 12 and 12 on step 10. And I read um, Staying Sober Without God about step 10. Mm-hmm. And then I've been in AA for 31 years. So there you go. That's my prep. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Excellent. So the. I, I looked at the 12 and 12. I actually picked it up and went to, you know, step 10 and started to read and, and was like, eh, nah, I just didn't have it in me. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so, it's so funny, you know. I um, of course, I I kind of grew up with the with these with these books, and um, what I noticed about it, like I, like I noticed, like the first time I looked at it as an atheist, it's like just leave this God stuff out, and it would have been just fine, because step ten really doesn't really involve anything to do with God at all, really, you know, but he has to throw it in there at the end of every paragraph says, and now God loves you or you're closer to God or whatever, you know, just come on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Only, only if you do this stuff, then God will love you. So yeah, no, um, for me, I, I consider this step, I I guess we should say what the step is, right? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Um, What is it? We, um, oh God, continue to take personal inventory. And when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Is that right? Right. Yep. And um, yeah, the idea for me on this step is basically learning routine, you know. Um, So I think the secular guide uh, lists it as we continue to monitor ourselves to acknowledge our successes and quickly correct our lapses and errors. And so they suggest that the principles on this are perseverance and integrity, um, which is interesting. Um, so when you did it, what did you do for step 10? What, you know, did your sponsor have you go to, what is it, page 84 in the big book and that well, whole thing? Yeah, well, we did, re- we basically with these steps, um, it was more of a learning thing where you just basically go through the literature and we talked about what we read. Um, but in actual practice, in the early days of my sobriety, and by that I mean like the first couple of years, I actually journaled a lot and that was helpful for me because I could actually, I was actually reviewing what was going on in my life and in, in, in a way that helped me kind of see patterns and understand what was going on. Um, but for me, this has never been something that I do like where I set um, aside a certain time of the day, you know, like it says um, to um, at, before you retire at night to, to do this little inventory. I, I don't do that. Um, I'm more of the spot check inventory type person. So what I have learned to do over time is that when I am wrong, I promptly admit it. And so um, I'm very much more aware of my um, feelings, I guess, um, and more in touch with, with what I, I know there's something going on with me. You know, I, I can pretty much um, catch that pretty quickly um, if it's connected to some sort of a relationship problem, a per- personal interpersonal relationship at work or whatever. And I am pretty good now about, you know, saying, yeah, I was wrong there. I'm sorry. You know, and it's almost 
gotten to this point where I have to do it. If I don't go up and I, and I'm very clear about just letting the person know I'm wrong. That was kind of beat into me fairly early on that, you know, you tell them you're wrong. You don't just say you're sorry, but you're wrong. So, um, I try to do that, you know, and, and I, I am pretty good about it. So yeah, this was just kind of a learning experience for me over time. But yeah, we started off just by reading the 12 and 12, uh, sponsors suggesting, um, different things. I think journaling was recommended to me early on. Um, I don't journal now, but, um, basically what I do is, um, you know, I just, I just uh, take a look at anytime I'm disturbed, like it says, um, I try to take a look at what's going on. And if there's something I've done wrong, I do go to the person and let them know that I, that I was wrong. And, uh, and I move on. And sometimes, um, usually the people take it well and they, you know, they also will offer some sort of an apology. And, uh, sometimes they, they think it's just kind of odd because sometimes the person doesn't pick up on the fact that I was upset, you know, they, and, and, and it throws them off that all of a sudden I'm coming over telling them, uh, you know, doing all this deal, but anyway. Right. Yeah. I, I like, um, Joe C and the beyond belief book, um, frames it pretty well. He says it's, uh, taking the time to meditate, visualize, or prepare for the day and then taking stock in the evening. Um, it's how we get better at living to our potential. So, um, so I like that because sometimes I hear with this step, um, people feeling shame again, it's, it's kind of like, um, I've heard of meetings. It's the fourth step in action. And, um, and so in that, you know, with the fourth step, a lot of people feel like it's, um, it's about shame or, you know, shaming, um, and, uh, that kind of thing. And so, so I liked, uh, reading that and thought that was pretty good that I plan to share with some of the people that I work with. Um, but what I did, um, again, my, my first sponsor didn't use the book at all. Um, and my second sponsor did. And so when um, when I worked with uh, my second sponsor, um, she did questions, and um, I haven't looked to see if they're the same as the book. I did at one time, but um, she had me write down um, kind of journaling like you did, um, where I've been resentful or fearful um, and or used others towards my own personal goals, um, which was, was interesting to be able to start noticing that where, um, kind of, I was, uh, I was looking at people or being helpful to somebody because I knew it would be helpful to me, you know, either in my career or some sort of, uh, gain. Um, and, uh, and then I would write down what went right. Um, and sometimes when, (laughs) when I realized it was a, I used someone to my personal goal, I would have thought that that went right. You know, I, I got what I wanted, um, but, but really, um, it's where, where have I been helpful and, um, and where was my act of courage? You know, where did I do something that was uh, different or difficult for me, but, uh, positive and moving towards, uh, the direction that I want to be for, you know, my ideal self type of thing. Um, Another thing that I was reading in one of my journals is that um, she suggested that if I got stuck, I could look over my step seven cards. Um, So those were the cards that I wrote about uh, different traits and then um, what I could do um, instead, a a positive action or how I would like to to 
act um, on the other side um, and look at those and see if any of that had popped up during the day um, to remind me of, of, you know, the different things I wanted to work on um, and see if, you know, was I able to access the positive response or, you know, did I respond less skillfully? And, um, and so that was helpful. Um, another thing I was thinking about, a friend of mine, um, shared that uh, he practiced the step by writing a list of the character traits or behaviors he wanted to improve upon, and then he taped it to the inside of his closet door. And each morning when he got up and got ready for work, he would pick one um, for the day um, that he would choose to be intentional about. Um, so if it was like, you know, rigidity, um, he would try to catch himself reaching reaching for rigidity or acting in a way that was rigid and try to pause at the situation and figure out if it, you know, what he wanted um, was truly warranted, um, if that was the correct response, or if this was an opportunity for him to try to be more open to new ideas or ways of doing things or more collaborative with his coworkers, that kind of a thing. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. I'd never heard um, anybody approach the 10th step in that way before. And so I, I thought that might be helpful to some people. It was helpful to him. Um, so he, he's uh, doing really well in, in life. And, uh, and so, yeah, so it was effective to, to someone. Yeah, yeah. It is, it, it, and a lot of people um, benefit from something like that, just having, you know, a, a reminder and something to actually work on for that particular day. I know a lot of people do that. I might have done that to a certain extent. You know, I, for me, it would probably be in the way of um, early conversations that I might have with a sponsor and, and he might suggest that I um, pay attention to one particular trait or whatever uh, uh, during the day. But um, I don't know. Do you do you um, when do you actually block time out of your day to, to do this? It depends. Um if I'm if I know that I'm in a spot where I'm under a lot of stress or there's a situational problem in my life or something like that, um, then I do it because I know that it will, you know, help me get through it um, when things are, are going pretty well and um, and I seem to be able to stay on an even keel. Then yeah, then it's it's not as important. Um, I think I get the benefits of you know working the steps in other ways, you know, throughout my life in general. General. Um, but I do like that it is something that I can go to. It's a, a tool to um, help me feel like, um, yeah, things will get better. That, you know, I've lived through enough of weird, you know, difficult stuff um, in sobriety, and this has helped me to to walk through it. And so, yeah, so it gives me, you know, the hope that, you know, if I do that again, that maybe it'll come out better on the other side. So yeah, I'm the same way. If I'm, if I'm going through kind of a rough, a rough patch and there are some, there are some problems that I need to take a look at, then yes, I do set some time aside and I really do take a, a serious look at what's going on. And if I do have to straighten something out with somebody, I, I would certainly do that from that process. So I, I do that as well, but most of the time it's just a, it's just the way I live my life. And um, I, I just do it because it's just become habit. And I think that that's what the whole intent was, is that this is a maintenance type step and it just becomes a habit. And that's not to say that I, you know, there, there's certainly, there have been times where, where I've offended somebody or I've, I've done something I want and I just hung on to it and didn't, you know, go do what I was supposed to do. But I would say most of the time, um, I'm pretty good about, um, saying, yeah, you know, I need to, I need to clear the air here because otherwise I'm not going to get any work done. 
that's basically, you know, what, how it is for me. Right. Yeah. Um, for me, it too, it, um, the positive part of it was important because, um, you know, I was still pretty good at, at identifying, you know, where I was, uh, not doing things right. You know, that critical part of my brain. Um, and so I needed to, to balance it out with what things I did do, you know, that I was either proud of or, you know, felt like it was moving in the right direction. Um, and so, so resentment on this one was another one that um, that I often still have to go back and, and work on. And um, I was reading in the alternative uh, 12 steps, the secular guide. Um, I really like this chapter too. They have a lot of good things to, to say um, and to think about. Um, but one of the things they said was that... Um, that uh, resentment uh, drains our mental and emotional energy and keeps us attached to the person or thing that we resent. And um, that it's like a secret weapon we use to inflict mental justice on somebody else. And, uh, and that one really got me because I've, I've had, you know, it's the holidays and, and I have some resentment. <laughs> and, um, and so when I, when it was phrased that way, you know, it's funny how you can hear some of the same things over and over it again or the same ideas but sometimes it's the language that um that helps you to to see something new and uh and yeah and that was is really true for you know where i'm at with this resentment that that i've had is that it's it's a sense of justice that i i feel like has uh, or injustice that's happened and so i keep thinking about it you know and and it's you know it's not helpful to me i i know it's like you know drinking poison and hoping the other person dies you know all of those sayings but but i really like the way that they they wrote it in that resentment is the secret weapon we use to inflict mental justice on somebody else because um, my, my inventory brought up lots of, uh, of um, justice issues, you know, where I felt like um, something was unjust and that it wasn't fair. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, and it's something that I continue to have to work with is, uh, yeah, we live in a world that's, you know, not fair. <laughs> So, yeah, you know, in the um, 12 another, and 12, it okay. talks about that a little bit. It talks about, um, oh, righteous anger and the da- the dangers of um, being, you know, righteously angered. So in other words, that there are situations, I guess, where we have been treated poorly and we aren't at fault. Um, and yet um, the the anger or the bad feelings or the resentment are with us and still need to be dealt with. And if all I do is stew in my self-righteous anger, it's not really going to get me anywhere. And it's going to, it's going to, um, kind of impede me from, you know, doing anything constructive, you know, for while I'm dwelling in that. So I don't know, they, they always suggest, they suggest all the meetings I've ever been to is that if you are feeling that self-righteous anger, it's like, you know, the main thing is just to, um, get out of whatever that feeling is and you know you got to get kind of get unstuck and kind of take get don't worry so much about who was right and who was wrong but just deal with whatever negative emotion you're dealing with at the time yeah yeah I think the the writing is um is helpful for that um 
and for resentments in general to to write it out so that you can see it clearly on paper and and to use that part of your your brain that is uh, slower and and understanding it better so you can get a different perspective on it you know all that is good um, but I I do try to to um, really you know, understand it. So part of my journey right now is to actually feel my feelings. Um, so if I'm feeling resentment, you know, that uh, not to try to get rid of it. So, um, you know, because we talk about that a lot in meetings is that, you know, get rid of it because resentment will kill you. You know, um, you'll go out and drink and die. That's, you know, that's what they say. And, and yes, you know, um, if you don't deal with your feelings and problems and issues, then, you know, it often leads to acting out in, in unpleasant ways. But um, for me, you know, sitting with my feelings and trying to identify, you know, where they're at in my body, um, like with anger, you know, my stomach clenches up and I, you know, grind my teeth and, and um, recognizing those things, um, because there's part of me that it's like, you know, I'm not supposed to feel anger as much. I'm, I'm supposed to be, you know, Zen and, um, and, you know, serene and stuff. You know, I, I have uh, other people I'm working with. What happens if I'm not, you know, experiencing serenity, you know, <laughs> things like that. And so recognizing that, um, yeah, I haven't let go of whatever it is and I'm feeling it and, and my body's feeling it and, and working with that. And um, sometimes that starts with writing things down um, so that I can see it a little more clearly and just recognizing that it is a feeling and it will pass that, that they all do, you know, when I'm feeling joy that passes as well. Um, and that, uh, that I can actually, um, tolerate uh, the feeling now, even if it's unpleasant, um, and at least long enough to, to look at it differently. And then usually when I can look at it differently, uh, a different feeling arises. Yeah. You know, we sometimes um, I have to say that looking back in my past life in AA over the last some time, um, there, there were periods where I was a little bit um, I don't know what I was expecting, but maybe to become some sort of automaton where I didn't have any, you know, crazy emotions or anything, but it's like, you know, as a human being, you know, you're gonna, you're gonna have anger and, and all this kind of stuff. And just, and just having these aren't by themselves bad, you know, you want to, you want to be a, a real live flesh and blood human being and, and how, and react to, and to certain ways. Um, I know the thing that they used to always say that, there was a spiritual um, axiom that if there's, if we're just, if there, if we're disturbed, anyway, it's always that, um, that if we're disturbed, no matter what the reason for it, there's something wrong with us. It's, it always says, and that, that little thing, and I would hear it in meetings all the time. And I don't, I don't know if you've heard it so much, if you were going to a secular meeting most of your time, but they used to say that a lot. And, it did kind of put this message in my brain that no matter what was going on, if I felt some sort of a negative emotion, there was something wrong with me that I needed to address right away. But sometimes that really wasn't the case. Sometimes it's just something that, yeah, I'm a little angry, but just let it go. It'll, it'll pass. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but I, I think that I kind of had times earlier on in my life where I was a little um, too tough on myself because of that message I got. 
Yeah, and if you're going to a lot of standard meetings, you know, that stuff gets, you know, ingrained in you. Um, so, you know, I, I, most of my program has been my meeting that meets once a week, um, but I went to um, two, sometimes three meetings a day for the first several years um, of my sobriety. So I, I heard a lot of stuff, and, and, um, and I did feel that, you um, when I was working through the steps, because that took me about a year the the first time, and there were times when, when things were happening um, that I was, you know, still getting myself into situations that uh, were not ideal, and then, you know, I'd go to a meeting and be like, I don't know if I did, you know, the previous step right, because, you know, why am I feeling this way, or maybe I need to go back or do something, and that's what I heard other people say, so a lot of it was mimicking, you know, what I'd already heard, you know, I, I, felt it too because I heard that and then I'm like oh that that must be what's happening is that I didn't do a step right um and and you know that generally wasn't the case it's just feelings <laughs> you know and it's just that I haven't learned a new way to handle whatever the situation is and that I will probably continue to have this pop up until I'm able to um to be uh, have a routine of looking at this a different way and making a different choice and and that's not easy you know that's um that's one of the things that i think is helpful for the steps in the steps even for secular people is the the system of you know looking at things examining what they are seeing them for what they are looking at the good and the bad and then the the learning a routine of trying to um make a change and um and so yeah um I think another part of step 10 that uh, that I recall is is this is where I hear a lot of people talk about the HALT acronym, the, the hungry, angry, yeah, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Um, we also, in our group, mention boredom a lot because, um, yeah, a lot of people um, have talked about um, being bored um, and that that's really what, um, what they worry about or what they've had um, – that's taken them out several times is, is that, you know, it's, it's not that things are going bad. Um, it's just that they're bored and they don't know how to, how to deal with that. Um, and so I think this uh, step 10, it can be helpful in that aspect as well, because it actually, you know, gives you some things to think about and, and to be working on. Um, and so, you know, you have something to do, um, and uh, a goal, I guess, you know, to, to be able to improve on, on these things. You know, again, we know that we're not ever going to be perfect, although uh, sometimes we, we feel like that's the goal in, in recovery. Um, but, uh, yeah, having something to work on is, is, um, is important, I think, particularly in, in early recovery, um, stuff to do. And this is, um, uh, you know, a list or um, a way, a step that gives you things to do. Um, so one of the, the things in the, in the secular guide um, that they do is they, they kind of break down, you know, what are we supposed to be monitoring for in this step, you know, and, and they break it down to like moods, you know. Um, so, you know, what, what is our mood like um, and can we catch um, anxiety or, um, you know, depression or whatever it is that's going on with us early before it gets a strong hold 
um, and then uh, can we correct anything that we had started to do that uh, was a representative of, of that um, that mood and stuff. Um, also, uh, they do emotions separately, you know, from moods, and uh, this is where they do talk about the the hidden stuff. Um, that undermines our, our best efforts to um, make positive change. And, and oftentimes that's, you know, body sensations that come with our moods, which I mentioned before, um, like uh, jaws clenching and, and tense stomachs and stuff. Um, and they talk a little bit about, you know, that the body gives us clues, you know, as that we're, you know, angry or afraid. Um, and then our head decides how to deal with that. And so what we're, you know, working on is trying to cooperate with what, you know, our head thinks we should do on that and, and get that connection between the, the cortex and the amygdala, <laughs> basically, you know. Um, and so um, uh, this one also talks about knowing, um, you know, uh, listening to our fear or our anger, whatever comes up to see if it's warranted, because sometimes it is, you know, um, I think there's a, there's stuff in, in the rooms that I hear where it's like, you're not supposed to feel angry, you know, if you're not. And so um, learning to, you know, cause sometimes it's warranted and, and sometimes there's something going on and, and I don't want to um, just let something go um, that's going to come back or that could hurt me in some other way. I need to really, understand what's happening um, and not avoid it. Um, so I think sometimes in the steps, um, people end up avoiding um, looking at issues or problems or, or things that come up from them um, because they think they're supposed to just let it go. Um, any sort of, you know, negative feeling um, that they have. So I thought that was really good and, and helpful to me to, to read again that, um, that, yeah, you know, look at what's going on. Sometimes your, your anger and your fear is, is warranted. And so, you know, if you can learn to pause and maybe, you know, leave the room or, or, you know, call a friend or do something else and, and go back to that um, and see uh, until you get that intuitive sense and you start to, to know. And, and even then, sometimes you're off. So having the practice of, again, writing or calling a friend or doing whatever is, is helpful for that. That's where the big book kind of um, is kind of interesting because in, in some of the literature, it warns us about going to extremes. But when it comes to fear, especially in the fourth step, it goes into a lot of extremes with it. It says that it's an evil and corroding thread weaving its way through the fabric of our existence. And it's just like it's like fear by itself is just a super bad thing. But honestly, it's not. It's I mean, maybe an unreasonable fear is maybe an irrational fear is. But fear itself um, is a uh, defense mechanism, I guess. It's, I mean, we're programmed to be afraid of, uh, like you said, bears, right? Um, right. <laughs> things that can actually hurt us and eat us. You know, it's a good reason right. to have, have a little bit of fear. And there's, there's some, some purpose behind it. Probably the same thing can be said for anger too. You know, it's just a, it's just keeping things in perspective, I guess. I don't know. Right. You know, and, and it's uh, practicing being able to do that. You know, it, it's not like we read through all of this stuff and then we put it into action and, and all's good. You know, there, there's lots of things going on within us. And, um, and for me, you know, alcohol was uh, something that I used to, to try to calm a lot of that down. Um, and, uh, and it worked for a little while and, and then it didn't. And previous to alcohol, I used food and, and, um, you know, 
um, yeah, so it's, and the other thing with fear is that I found when I do inventory on pretty much anything that's bothering me, or I feel like I need to, to write about it, it all comes back to fear, you know, um, that it's, it's, pretty much the core emotion for me is, you know, is love and fear and, um, and fear. So I, I, I need to address it and, and look at, at what's going on and, um, and see why am I fearful about this? You know, it may have come out as anger, um, but um, the, the core feeling is fear. And oftentimes um, for me, that is, um, I'll get angry um, because somebody said or did something that either I disagree with or I feel like they're blaming me for or, you know, something again with justice oftentimes. And so what is that when I break it down? Um, it's a fear of what people think about me or of not being perfect or doing something right or that I made a mistake. And that, um, and that, so that fear comes out because I need to be loved in order to survive in, in life, you know, and, and if you break it down to when you were a child, um, you know, it's that you, you needed to be loved in order to continue to be fed and housed and stuff, you know, but those feelings are still in there. And so, you know, I have to look at that. And when I can look all at all of that, it takes some of the, the, power of the anger of the feeling of the you know loss of control that often comes up when I get angry um and uh and yeah it makes it easier yeah a guy from my home group he always says that when he's angry he always stops to ask himself what he's afraid of because he says almost all the time his anger is connected to some sort of a fear just like what you were talking about yeah yeah and then you know I look at well what can I do you know to, to, you know, either feel better or, you know, do the situation in a way that, uh, that makes me more empowered, you know, um, it's kind of interesting how anger that there's anger by itself is not always the what's going on. Like I know for me, when I'm angry, when I'm most often angry, it's when I'm going through a period of time where I'm depressed. So for me, depression manifests itself as anger because I think I get, oh, I get impatient maybe. I get, um, I don't know, it just wears me down. And I, and uh, that's how, that's what happens to me. I get angry when I'm depressed. Yeah, I can see that. I, I think with uh, depression that I've felt, it's, it's generally that I have less emotional bandwidth to deal with things. It's like, you know, my, my brain is trying so hard to, you know, to keep me alive that, um, that I just don't have the emotional bandwidth to be open-minded and, you know, <laughs> and cooperative and, and all of that. And, um, and so, so yeah. Cause I can almost sometimes when I'm really depressed, I can almost feel it physically. It's like a tightening of my chest. It's just like, it's awful. And I, and I, and, and I'm, I'm feeling, feeling this feeling and I'm going about my life and, oh God, I, th I guess I need some sort of a release valve. So that's when I, so I notice that anger for me, that's sometimes there's something else connected to it. And for me, a lot of times it total, it really is depression. Right. And, and so this is probably, yeah, probably a good time to remind um, people that, uh, that, you know, depression is a, a problem that a lot of us face and some of us drink over it. And some of us um, experience depression after we stopped drinking. Um, you know, I, I, um, 
didn't uh, see a therapist or um, have antidepressants or anything like that my first year. But shortly after my first sobriety birthday, I fell into a depression and needed to, again, seek outside help and and get some things with that because um, I've seen people working on the steps and, um, and going through feelings and depression kicks in and they don't know if it's that they're just stuck on a step and that they don't want to deal with or what's going on. And so I, I really think that uh, seeing somebody at your doctor or professional, um, if this is something you're feeling and it's lasting, you know, longer than, you know, a couple of weeks um, is a good idea because, um, you know, it's when you're depressed, you're suffering. Um, and it's tough. And like you said, it, it can be physically painful. And, um, and while the steps help us to try to learn to work with our emotions, um, you know, there's chemical imbalances that need to be dealt with. And, uh, and so, you know, seeking outside help is, is a, a good thing. And I still find that term outside help strange. It is weird. Or, or yeah, outside, outside, I- outside issues, you know, like, you know, relationships and outside issue, you know, it's like, no, all of it is involved in my you know, addiction and recovery. I'm trying <laughs> you know, really, really hard to to get rid of AA speak from my from my vocabulary, but it's really hard because it's so deeply ingrained in me. You know, but outside help is one of those terms, isn't it? It's because like Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well and you know, I think it's like religious terms too. You know, yeah. I, I still catch myself saying, you know, uh religious uh things, mainly, you know, like it's mostly swearing actually. So like for the love of God or <laughs> you know, things like that, um, that, um, yeah, anyway, um, it is, uh, the language is interesting on depression and how AA I'm lucky didn't kill me. Um, I have a history of mental illness in my family that goes back generations and involves suicides. And in one case, my brother, to this day is gets has schizoaffective disorder. I mean, we just have a really bad situation of uh, mental illness in my family. Um, I don't have it as bad, but I certainly had depression. And when I stopped drinking, that was a really, really difficult thing for me to deal with. And I was dissuaded, strongly dissuaded from getting help. Uh, people were telling me to pray more. People were telling me to get out of myself. People were telling me to help others. This is the message I was getting. And I think... God, was it 10 years before I went finally um, to see a doctor? That was a lot of suffering. And yeah, it was unnecessary. Needless suffering. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And as soon as, so I started off going to therapy, which was helpful. And I learned some really good skills that kind of helped me deal with it. But honestly, it wasn't until I started taking medication that I really got real relief. And it was almost an instant thing for me. And they say it's supposed to take a while but was like, wow, this is what it's like to be able to function. Yeah. Well, and for some people, it, it's they, they need a medication, you know, prescribed by the doctor that they take as prescribed, um, you know, to, um, to get them to, uh, you know, the chemical level in their brain um, to be able to work on, you know, this kind of stuff, either in therapy or in, you know, meetings or whatever it is. Um, and then I, you know, some people can then not have medication anymore. You know, they, they don't have major depression as, you know, defined as something that they're going to deal with for the rest of their life. Um, it's just they needed that help in order to get to a spot where they could work on these things. 
That's what my doctor actually says too. She says that, you know, you may not need this for the rest of your life. And we've even actually talked about getting off of it, but for whatever reason, it works for me. So I just, I still keep doing it. I've been on it for a long time now, but, um, it has made a big difference for me. I still get depressed and I still have problems sometimes that cause me to become depressed, but it's not like so debilitating like it used to be. It used to be really, really awful. Yeah. No, I understand. So yeah, that would be a, a cool podcast to do. Oh God, I don't be too depressing. <laughs> no, <laughs> Some people I think would think it would be, be really negative. Well, it needs yeah. to be said. I mean, it still happens to this day. My doctor even told me that she hears, she gets patients who've gone to AA and who tell them that, who tell her that they were told not to go to a doctor their depression right yeah yeah well we should we should talk about it and share some ideas because i i think it's it's a necessary topic um and that there is some hope that we can bring to it so i think you know what you experienced would would be really good for people who are experiencing that to hear that you know they're not alone and that you know you made it out of those those feelings and were able to stay sober and stay in recovery and and do you know good work and service work for people as I was sincerely taking their advice, I would go home and get on my knees and pray, and I would do all this other stuff. And it didn't, nothing helped till I actually saw a, a doctor. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and yeah, that is a, a true and serious criticism of AA, and and it's a necessary one that needs to be needs to be looked at. And so it uh, kind of so. goes. It kind of does, that does go with step ten though, because if you're if you're going through your life and Oh my God, if you're, if, if, if it's just depression that you're dealing with, then maybe step 10 and step 11 and all the other steps aren't really going to do anything and you need, you need something else. We need that outside help. <laughs> the outside help. Yeah. With the outside issue right. of, you know, your, your life and what, you know, contributes to your drinking. Yeah. And anyways, um, so an, another thing that, um, that I liked in the alternative 12 steps. So if, if people are looking at that is, um, they break down on mo- monitoring thoughts and again, they have questions and I, I find this helpful to, um, to read through these in, in journal on them, um, because they, they can help me understand, you know, my feelings or what's going on with me better. And so um, they say um, there are all kinds of thoughts that get us into trouble. So there, um, we're looking to monitor like obsessive thought. Is there something we just can't seem to stop thinking about? No matter what we tell ourselves, we go back to thinking about it. Um, do we think about it during the day and when we wake, <laughs> you know, from the night? Um, there's recycling a thought, which they consider is differently, which is just uh, mentally recycling the past. So it's, you know, kind of the, what is it, rumination. Um, um, does it seem to run in circles like a hamster in a cage? Um, denial. Do we get into patterns of rationalization and self-justification? That's usually what happens immediately to me if, if uh, somebody, you know, asks me a question that I feel is accusatory in some way, is that immediately it's denial. No, that didn't happen, and no, or whatever. And then, you know, the anger that they would even think that, you know, whatever it is that I think they think. <laughs> um, uh, do, do we persist in beliefs even though they don't match objective reality? See, you know, that's one for um, 
you know, the medication issue is, you know, do we persist in thinking that uh, praying or, you know, doing these steps over and over again is going to have going to fix us when we actually have a chemical imbalance that um, that, you know, needs to be addressed. Um, So um, let's see, do we hang on to old ways of behaving just because it's more comfortable to do that than change? And so this is, I think, part of where integrity comes in is, you know, the the admitting you're wrong and, and going and, and taking responsibility is um, is a new habit for a lot of us um, because of fear and, and such. Um, so anyway, negative thought. Uh, do we leap to negative conclusion instead of looking at the positive possibilities in a situation? Um, do we ask ourselves and really mean it, what can I learn from this? Um, do we forget that there is power in a peaceful frame of mind and that peace is or that piece is impossible. Um, let's see, over-involvement. That's another one that I think uh, could be talked about in AA service work. <laughs> so uh, do our thoughts revolve around a particular person? Do we plan and think and, and ruminate about how we are going to make things better for him or her or it or them? Um, do we know we have the answers that will help them? You know, So those are some of the things that, uh, that they suggest when you're doing step 10, if, if you're looking for things to monitor or how to actually, you know, be active in this step, you know, that's a, a pretty good list of things to, to ask yourself. Um, and then they go into, you know, the different areas of our life that, that we can look at. Um, so like our, our personal relationships, you know, do we regularly get upset at a certain person over a certain thing? You know, that's something we should probably take a look at. Um, our work, <laughs> you know, do we actually do our best at our work? And, and you've talked about that a little bit. Um, and, uh, and I've, I've done the same and, and I've heard people share in, in meetings that, uh, that one of the things when they were going through the steps that they first realized was that they're kind of a lousy employee and that they, they weren't giving their employer their full, you know, money's worth, I guess. And so they started showing up to work on time and, you know, not stealing office supplies and, you know, little things like that. Do what your Um, boss wants. You know, (laughs) (laughs) right. Um, um, Let's see, monitoring finances. So that's, you know, another one. Relationships, Roman Finance and finance, you know, that'll take you out of AA. Um, but uh, <laughs> that's what they say. Yeah. Um, but for me, that that was, again, um, has been one of the difficult things for me to, to do because I didn't have a lot of examples of how to manage finances. And I didn't um, didn't know how that really affected um, those around me, um, you know, um, did, did I live within my means or, you know, was I going paycheck to paycheck? You know, sometimes when you're, uh, in recovery, um, particularly early recovery, you don't exactly have jobs that, you know, give you enough to live, you know, beyond paycheck to paycheck. But, you know, once you do, um, or if you, when you, uh, get into recovery, you're already at a place where, where you make a reasonable amount, you know, can you live within your means or is spending? And, and doing stuff part of your um, addiction and way that you cope with things. So um, looking at that, I, and I thought that was really good because I, I don't hear that a lot in the in the rooms, you know, that, you know, um, money stuff can often be a way that, uh, that we're, you know, avoiding um, our feelings. And- it was difficult for me. I, uh, I think I told you that um, 
my early sobriety, I'd say my first five years, my income level was awful. I mean, I just, I just had a really poor paying job. Um, actually for a long time, actually 10 years, I was just not making very much money, but actually the, the, but for sure the very first, the five years, I, there were times I couldn't even put gas in my tank to go do something. And I was kind of, um, at that time, um, I was blaming myself to a certain extent that I wasn't managing my money right. But honestly, after I started making more money, those problems kind of went away. <laughs> so it was like, I think the problem was I just wasn't making enough money. Um, I mean, it, it sucks, but. Right. Well, and then learning just how, how to manage it better, you know, um, yeah. whatever you have, learning to, again, live within your means and, and monitor that. Um, I know for me, um, a lot of times it was, I'd get, uh, you know, my paycheck or some money and there'd be some fun thing I wanted to do. And, and I knew that I needed to do that right away because, you know, the money would be gone for other things. And so it was a, you know, partly an impulse control thing that I needed to work on. Um, but also the way I was raised is, is that's how we did things in order to, you know, experience, uh, um, fun stuff is, you know, we did that. And then we have to worry about, you know, if the power was going to be turned off or, or something like that. So, so learning, you know, how to manage money appropriately, um, was, uh, was something that, um, actually I didn't get until probably like the last eight years. Um, I've learned to, to monitor that and good credit and all of that kind of stuff. But, you know, um, when people would talk to me about that, when my partner wanted to plan for retirement, you know, in my family, the plan was, you know, to win the lottery. Um, that's how you retire. Um, and, uh, and so I, I told him, I, I can't, you know, I have to do this one day at a time <laughs> and, and threw a bunch of slogans at him, which is funny because he's not in recovery. And so he, he has no clue what I'm talking about, but, but yeah, I'm like, it's, it's just beyond my control. I'm powerless over finances. And, uh, yeah, I, I can sure be impulsive sometimes. Yeah. And it makes it so easy now on Amazon, ah, just buying something, just like a click of a button. Yeah. And so, yeah, managing that is a, a, another thing. And I know that there are some people that are like, uh, even with how we're talking about this stuff, they say that, well, it's not on target and all of these things are, you know, outside. But I think that it affects whether or not, you know, I start to slide into a place where, um, where I'm feeling out of control and, and that, you know, taking a drink, you know, who cares? I've already, you know, made this big mess, that kind of a thing. And so I, I do think it's important to, to work on, and I'm not just trying to not drink, you know, part of this is, is, uh, you know, improvement. I, I want a better life. That's why I came to AA is I thought maybe there would be people there that, uh, that could help me live a better life that, um, that I could not drink and also not be as crazy. And, and that is what I, what I've got. So, um, yes, all this stuff is, is pertinent. I mean, this is, that's what this is all about. This maintenance of our sobriety is, you know, it's more than just about not drinking, but it's about taking care of ourselves in every way possible to make it easier to not drink, you know, um, and to make your life more enjoyable, and more um, manageable and all of that. So, 
Yeah. Yeah. So they also go into like orderliness, which, you know, some people are, are, you know, more okay with messy things and, and some people are a little OCD. Um, but yeah, um, considering that is another thing because I, I know, um, for me that it also can contribute to depression. If I see, you know, a big mess then, and it stays there, then I start to, you know, feel out of control and, and weighed down by it. And I'm never going to be able to, you know, clean that shelf or do whatever it is that, that is bothering me. Well, my wife is very OCD about um, having everything in order and having everything clean. And uh, cause she, she, her, her work at the museum is very detail oriented. So she just, I don't know. She just uh, has this way of seeing things that I can't see. So now that she's been living with her mom for the last uh, month, I'm looking around the house. I'm thinking, Oh my God. This is a mess. <laughs> this yeah. is horrible. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got to get well, it I think different. <laughs> yeah, I think different people, you know, have different levels that, that they're okay with, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of the... Well, what happens with me is I guess it piles up after a while. It's like, oh, my God. <laughs> what happened to the floor? <laughs> well, yeah, and so some people it's like, um, you know, having six glasses of water lying around the house is is no big deal but you know for some people having one is a big deal and so yeah so you know figuring out I guess where you're at in the orderliness thing and if you want to improve you know you may not to but it's another category to be aware of um, our physical condition you know that's something that a lot of us ignored um, and didn't pay attention to so actually going to the doctor and the dentist and <laughs> you know that kind of thing is something thing that, you know, I think you can consider, um, hopefully you're able to consider it earlier in the steps, but I don't know that I, I did until, you know, later on that, okay. Um, you know, because oftentimes with the jobs that I had, uh, dental insurance was not part of it. And so being able to, to pay for that or needing to pay for that was not a priority for me. So starting to monitor that, um, and pay attention to that is, uh, I think something that's important to my sobriety. Um, it mentions boundaries. Um, I think we talked about that a lot in, in the eighth and ninth step as well as, as um, four. But um, monitoring boundaries, you know, are we doing the things that, that we need to do to make sure that we're not um, putting ourselves uh, in places for people to disappoint us? You know, having expectations of that um, coworker or family member to act in a way that, that, you know, we think they should. And when they don't, you know, we're, we're mad. Or have we set up something that, you know, a boundary that we um, don't let them cross? And if they do, then then we work on that. So, um, so boundaries are a big thing. Um, and then I think that, that, that helps, you know, balance your life. Um, so, um, in this, they, uh, they talk about different ways of monitoring. So they do like, um, you said, um, quick spot check at, at any time, you know, are my feelings, um, correct, um, with what is happening in the afternoon? Am I, um, feeling impatient or angry? They mentioned traffic. <laughs> That's an issue for, I think most of us is, you know, um, if I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off, you know, and, and I call them, you know, a not nice name and then another person cuts me off and I call them a nice 
not nice name, you know, the third person, I might want to look at who's actually the not nice thing, you know, because it's probably my impatience. I either didn't plan um, to leave the house in time to get to where I'm I'm going. And so everybody's a jerk because they're getting in my way because I'm going to be late. Um, You know, that's one of the things that that, you know, I had to look at. And and I find, uh, yeah, people are a lot nicer when I give myself that space cushion to be able to get to where I need to go. Um, We do the halt thing, um, the hungry, angry, lonely, tired, you know, is that what's going on with me? A lot of times it is. And, uh, and now I, I know what the issue is and I can fix it. And then I don't have to lash out at somebody else and then go through the process of making amends. Cause you know, I'd really rather avoid it if I can. <laughs> so, um, then there's more of the daily review, um, a, a leisurely type of monitoring, you know, at, at, usually in the evening, you know, did I do the things that, that I wanted to do? Um, you know, um, they do a, talk about a daily uh, will-do checklist. And so on theirs, they have things like, today I will do something for someone else or do something for myself or do something I don't want to do but needs to be doing um, or do some physical exercise Um uh, do something that takes real thinking uh, or, you know, take time for reflection and gratitude. Um, they, they also talk about, you know, a, the technique of writing or journaling um, your day and, and what, uh, you know, you liked, what happened that was good, what you would like to improve on or, or do differently. Um, and, uh, and sometimes that doesn't ne- mean that you need to, to make amends, you know, or that when you were wrong, you know, you have to the next day go to somebody. Sometimes it, it's, you know, just looking at it that I, I feel weird about how this situation went down and, and maybe I need to look at that a little bit more to see what's, what's happening there. Um, and then the other is, is um, to work with a trusted friend, advisor, counselor, um, sponsor, whatever it is that you're doing um, that, uh, that helps you with uh, staying on track and monitoring your you know, emotions and all of that. So, so yeah, so I found that chapter particularly helpful um, to look at ways to, to actually do uh, step 10. Um, cause as you can tell from the other steps I've talked about, I, I really like being able to have something to do so that I can think about it and in a way that's constructive and, um, rather than, you know, if I'm just letting my brain think about stuff, oftentimes it'll go off in a different direction and, um, and that's not helpful to me. So having specific things that I can work on to improve and to, and to, you know, learn to have better, intuition and better self-esteem you know when I'm able to see that I've I've uh, responded in a different way to a certain situation that frequently happens you know that feels really good and um, and that's kind of (laughs) nice because you know when you get into recovery you're usually not feeling super good and so um, figuring out a way that that yeah I I can feel that more often is is pretty nice. You know, that alternative 12-step book really goes into a lot of detail with the step, far more than uh, the big book, for sure, and far more than the 12 and 12. Yeah, yeah. yeah you really get and, some good information in a, from that. In a, yeah, in a good way, you know. So, yeah, I really like that. Yeah, it doesn't mention big shotism. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I've never no, had a problem no big with big shot shotism, I swear to God. I don't think so. <laughs> Maybe someone might disagree. 
Well, again, you know, when all of this stuff was made, uh, the <laughs> right. people who were primarily, you know, going to the meetings, they definitely had a problem with big shotism. They did. And uh, yeah, and so that's that's why it was in there. That's why all the right sizing and stuff. And right. I think that get yourself right sized. <laughs> particularly for women, it's it's not that, you know, that oftentimes uh, that we need to, you know, right size us is in, you know, the big shot stuff. It's, it's that we need to, to, what would be the correct term? I mean, not necessarily upsize because a lot of us would not appreciate that. Um, but, uh, yeah, right size in, in a positive way, you know, get Good self-esteem, to, get healthy to self-esteem. Yeah. Healthy, appropriate self-esteem, you know? Yeah. So it'll be interesting going into step 11. I, um, uh, cause you know, we talk about meditation. I'm not a meditator. I have some past experience with it. I can talk about how I used to do it, but I almost feel like a schmuck doing that. But I do think that, I think there's a lot of, um, there's other things that you can do with step 11 besides just meditation that I kind of incorporate, like just, um, Oh, I don't know, <laughs> being grateful or whatever. We'll think about it. We'll talk about it on our next podcast. Yeah. I know I do something. Yeah, well, for step eleven, it, the way I do it is totally different as well than than that. So, um, you know, meditation can be a pro- part of it, but no, I I think of it in a totally different way. So, so it'll be cool to to chat about that. All right, Angela. Well, I did enjoy this. So, yeah, we'll we'll our next discussion will be on uh, step uh, step eleven. All right, I'm excited. We're in the home run, you We're know. There, <laughs> yeah, bad. I hope I hope so, this has been somewhat helpful to people. It's been helpful to me anyway. I do too. Yeah, I think it's it's been great. It's helped me look at, you know, all the different literature that I have and, and incorporate it better and my experience and then hearing yours has been great. So, so yeah, so if nothing else, you know, we got stuff out of it. So hopefully other people do too. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Yeah. Well, that's it for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I always enjoy these episodes with Angela as we go through the 12 steps. Soon enough, we'll be uh, covering steps 11 and then 12, where I guess we'll have a spiritual experience. I I don't know. Anyway, before I leave, let me just uh, thank you for your support and let you know that you can help us out financially by making donations through our Patreon page at patreon.com slash aabeyondbelief. You can do this through PayPal at paypal.me slash aabeyondbelief. Or just head on over to our website, aabeyondbelief.org, and click on the donate button. Anything you can do is appreciated and needed. Thank you so much. We'll be back again real soon for another episode of AA Beyond Belief, the podcast.